0: Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset for another week. It's Sam Bruce and Christy Doran after a pretty, uh, I guess, contrasting weekend of Super Rugby semi-final action. Uh, if you like me and you thought the Blues were half a chance or more than half a chance, actually, you were bold enough to to tip them. Uh, you're feeling pretty foolish today, Christy. Um, I am in awe of that Crusaders performance given. The context of it. We'll um we'll come to the Brumbies and, and Chief shortly, mate. But let's start there. Uh welcome back for another week. I hope you didn't tip the blues.
1: I didn't know. And I was I went up to, to uh Bill Wayne Smith's funeral on, on Friday to the Sunshine Coast and had a great drive out with with Jim Tucker and Robert Crash Craddock and you know chewing the fat both up there and, and down from the Sunshine Coast back towards Brisbane and I did ask Jim who he tipped, and he tipped the Blues, thought they were a strong chance. And when I told him after 15 minutes it was 15-0, uh, it was pretty obvious what direction that was going. You're right, they were brilliant, the Crusaders. And I, I'm not surprised, given we know their record uh, in Christchurch, but certainly I think the thing that tipped me over was the fact that Richie Moringa's, uh last home game, Sam White clearly didn't play, but his last home match and Razor Robertson, I just saw they're going to lift this match and we saw a colossal display from a very, very, very
0: well-drilled team. We sure did. And, yeah, nice little uh, mention of, of Wayne Smith there, the late, um, probably the, the guru of Australian rugby writers. Um, You would have to say a bloke that you and I have both been fortunate enough to spend a bit of time with uh, over the last few years since we've been both working in, in the rugby media here in Australia. A lovely man a, and at times an intense man and uh, a bloke who we uh, we probably shared a chuckle at with his various IT dramas. I remember there was a quarterfinal week in, in Oita and in the last World Cup and um, he was having a few issues and then discovered that he also needed to apply for tickets for the quarterfinals and hadn't done so. Uh, of course, there was no issue getting pitch side, but uh, yeah, a, a bloke could blow up, but just a wonderful rider and the best newsbreaker in the business, I think, for rugby in this country. So uh, RIP, Wayne. Um, yeah, you're right. It was um, just a phenomenal effort considering the, the, the names, the players that the Crusaders had out wasn't it. And I think that's what, you know, thought that or gave me the thought that the Blues were perhaps half a chance, but I mean, they just smothered them from the outset, didn't they? They used kind of that umbrella rush defense, really shut down this space. Um, as a result, the forwards were kind of playing well behind the game line, trying these little tip-on passes that hit the deck or were fumbled. And, I mean, they made the Blues look like a park team there early on. And then when they got down uh, into, the, into the red zone, um, just executed perfectly. Uh, Will Jordan, Mwanga, uh, the power of Leicester Uku. Um, the, the back row, despite the names that were missing there, uh, Cullen Grace, Ethan Blackadder, um, Lee Talatui and um, uh, Tom Christie um, mm-hmm. were phenomenal um, and, and just, you know, underlines what we know about these Crusaders, this Crusaders franchise and this team that that Scott Robertson's built over the last 10 years or so, uh, seven, eight years, certainly um, that they're, it just almost, when they get, when they play like that, they're, they're nigh on unbeatable. Uh, it was a, an amazing game, amazing performance to put 52 points on that Blues team. And as I said, make them look like a little more than a park team was was quite extraordinary.
1: Make them look Australian, dare I say it. Um, ah. uh, look, I think Richie, what, what it reinforced uh, to me was uh, Richie Malanga is the All Blacks 10. and And in addition to that, the Will Jordan combination of fullback, I just love what they're offering. And and when, when you think it in the grand schemes of things, all blacks, rugby championship, world cup around the corner, you, you think in combinations and how it all the pieces of the puzzle come together. They were just brilliant, the two of them. And, I liked some of, the, and they're not necessarily the huge names that you, you, you instantly think of when you think about the Crusaders, but even Oli J, you're coming back. A top head prop was a really, I think, big thing for the Crusaders. Um, Williams has been just named in that all-black squad, yep. one of the five debutantes named. We'll probably touch upon that later on, but... Oh, I just like that. Jack Goodhue, who's been in and out and battled injuries for yeah. a couple of years, him at 12, Braden Nenor at 13. He is a classy player and all. Like uh, He just covers positions really well. It just seems to be that uh, typical Crusaders New Zealand player has just got it all. And, and obviously, Dallas McLeod, the most recent um, and probably the biggest surprise or bolter in that All Blacks mix, just castle written all over it. And you feel for a couple of guys in that Blues team and even Leon McDonald, he probably thought, geez, this was once upon a time, this was me enjoying uh, the Crusaders' legacy. But he's going to finish up. Will, and, and and Razor Robertson's always going to have bragging rights. And I imagine we will be paying for the first beer or two when they come together, the coaching team, probably to watch this all-black side now. You imagine just the conversations that that coaching team will be having, looking on so closely at what now Ian Foster's doing. And it'll be fascinating to see who might have done things slightly differently. And uh, that coaching structure and, and the captaincy, it's a fascinating thing because it's been such a vexed discussion now for a couple of years across the ditch in New Zealand.
0: For sure. Yeah. Touch of irony there with uh, McDonald joining the, the man who's uh, he's going to be answering to uh, getting one final hiding there in, in Christchurch. And, you know, the blues were, were well beaten at home last year in the final. Um, and uh, yeah, they just they can't find a way through this crusaders team, like many others, it must be said, but um, I don't think any of us saw a 37 point defeat coming in that game. And, and nah. certainly, Certainly not me. Um, you're right though. You mentioned those couple of guys, uh, Tamati Williams, uh, the front rower there. Um, and then Dallas McLeod. Um, certainly McLeod, the big surprise in that all blacks team, uh, Williams, I think, had done enough to with his performance. Yeah. He's really, you know, he's a big prop, isn't he? He's uh, he's quite tall, he's mobile, um, and he's gonna be a real one to watch, I think, for that all blacks team this year. Um, all right, let's uh let's jump on. We'll come back to the All Blacks squad perhaps a, a little bit later. Um get straight on to to Hamilton where this was a much more uh, even contest, wasn't it? Uh, Brumbies and Chiefs went went hammer and tong really for 75 minutes before um, the Brumbies finally cracked. Um, I guess there was a lot of kicking the conditions kind of um, justified that. uh, And that's how the the Reds had had success against the Chiefs this year. Um, So you could see why the Brumbies did that. But they just never really quite looked like they were going to open them up, did they? They got down inside the 22 a couple of times, built phases, then either just kind of ran out of ideas or or turned the ball over. They had one rolling maul there uh, early or midway through the second half, which came down. It looks suspiciously like Sam Kane might have come in and uh, taken that one in from the side and perhaps not brought it down, but certainly entered from the side, I thought, when it broke off there might've been McInerney taking it forward uh, around the side. Um, but you just felt still that the better team won this one. Uh, the chiefs made 92%, I think of 150 odd tackles. Um, they certainly looked that little bit more threatening when they did go wide. And then of course, uh, McKenzie making that vital break there after kicking the the 50 meter penalty um, to give them that six point breathing room, uh, his break just opening up there between Tom Hooper and, and Rob Valentini. And, um, You know, almost butchered that try because you think of that offload that comes back from Stevenson. Anton Leonard Brown probably scores uh, in the corner untouched. Um, But, uh, yes, a couple of phases later and Big Brady goes over next to the post. But, um, yeah, the right team won, but still a a fair effort and a great season from the Brumbies.
1: Yeah, I think you've nailed it. I just think it comes down to big moments, the inability for Australian sides to capitalise on them, just the small windows of opportunity. And you think Jack Debreceny misses an early penalty and and you compare and contrast that with Damien McKenzie nailing it from 50. And you even heard the commentators, a lot of people thinking, oh, this is going to be right on his limit here. And he nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. and, and, Pressure is a is a funny thing, isn't it? It only probably seems like, oh, okay, it's an extra three. They still have to score a try, or there's probably time for two penalties. But, but in in a semi final where every play and every moment is so crucial, where it eventually tells. And uh, yeah, Mackenzie didn't he take that opportunity with both both hands? Didn't he just slice through? And no surprises that. Those couple of key players, Ritalik, Anton, Leonard, Brown, McKenzie—they stand up. Sam Kane was just immense, and I think we really saw the uh, the true showings of of Sam Kane and how colossal he is at the breakdown. There was a moment, I think it was in the second, uh, no, first half rather, about half, probably about that twenty-seven minute mark, I think it was, where Kane just exploded through at that counter arc, and it ended up. A, a little knock-on at the base of the ruck. I think it was from either Nick White or it's spurted out, but he he stepped up big time. And I think, fair enough, he's been named the, the All Blacks captain, but he's also just had a, a run this season where he's not been injured, which is which has been great to see because I, I love the way that he plays, but also the respect he shows. Uh, how, how The Brumbies will, will be disappointed, though, because they had that massive window from about the 67th minute mark when they kick for the corner. And I think that's the, the, the rolling more you're referring yeah. to. But Peter Gasolical, a big moment, goes over And whether or not it's a knock-on or not, the ball goes down. It leaves a decision for the, the referee to make. is made that Brian Lonergan stopped it on. And then it just compounded compounded didn't it it's a it's a line out and it's a, a penalty that's given it's a lost ball it's Tom Wright running back into the teeth of the defense and being held up uh it's a scrum then collapsing and then it's not only three points then no we'll see how it kicks out in the full from the restart and you think about that five minutes you go there you go that's the game set match uh and despite the fact that Stephen Larkham and others probably thinking oh there's been a couple of decisions that might have gone out against us that's what happens in semi-final footy when you lose the chance to host a semi-final, and and those things do tend to go against you. And uh, the Bump, who don't have anyone themselves to blame that but themselves. Uh, how they will see the year? Let's see another semi-final. I think it's three straight if you think about where, like obviously there was the the um, the Super NBAU competition which they take out in 20 and then they make the final and lose in 21 but in 2019 they lose to Argentina uh, in uh, I think it was Buenos Aires yeah. uh, and now two back to back across the ditch so I, I see a window where Australia could have had another team in a final unfortunately so close yet so far but they add up and we, we haven't had an Australian side in a Super Rugby final since 2014 so It's
0: a long, long time. Yeah, the loss of Debreceni can't have have helped things. Certainly Noah came on uh, and did a fair job despite that, that kick out on the full. I mean, looking around the paddock, uh, certainly Valentini again, particularly in that first half, I think, and we'll come to Tom Wright shortly, but that drop, uh, goal line dropout, which, um, you know, set tongues on Twitter. uh, Wagging, um, Valentini gets across there and makes an incredible covering tackle. I'm not sure if it was on Narawa, or, uh, or someone else but um, there was a couple of massive hits he put on and it just felt like in the last few weeks he's kind of started to look more like that test player and why we <laughs> weren't associating him with some of the brilliant stuff he's done in previous years that's the super rugby stuff in the last couple of weeks he's really done those nuts and bolts I think of, of test footy and going to be intriguing to see where he ends up at six or eight for the Wallabies uh, he was a, certainly a a really strong performer. Uh, James Slipper uh, had that head knock, came back on, won a couple of big scrums, uh, a couple of big penalties against a very, you know, a, a very strong Chiefs pack. Uh, he's going to be vital link in that. Wallabies forward pack clearly as well. So, yeah. I
1: think, he, I think that his best game too. As well. Yeah, for sure. Second run. Yeah.
0: Um, very timely for him. Um as well. So look, it's, um, they, they've got a number of, you know, genuine quality players there, haven't they? The Brumbies. And, and most of those guys are back besides Nick and Um, I think one or two others, but, um, yeah, it, uh, you just wonder how much they regret that decision. Um, that pre-planned decision about sending that week inside across to Perth. It probably wouldn't have meant that they would, obviously can't reflect on what the table looked like at this point in time right now, but, um, Yeah, they just lost that little bit of momentum towards the back end of the season, didn't they? And while they recovered, and that was a really gallant performance, as we said on Saturday. Um, Certainly the Chiefs always just seemed to uh, have an answer for anything they threw at them.
1: Yeah, and we saw that in the opening minutes. We saw Tom Wright uh, drift across the field, drop the ball on the toe. It was after about 10 phases or 10 or 11 phases, and you thought the Brumbies couldn't score... Uh, a couple of weeks earlier when they did host the Chiefs and the and the Brumbies had so much ball inside the attacking 22 and that brilliant defensive wall held up yet again. Uh, two penalties was was all they got. Probably just didn't have those attacking threats, but I also think they probably didn't go hard enough through the middle there yep. to try to just bring some more numbers, a little bit of quick recycle. You've got some big guys like Valentini who you uh, quite rightly pointed out was outstanding, but Tom Hooper. I just think that they probably needed a little bit more in that attacking zone. Um, where do you think Tom Wright's sitting right at the moment, Sam? Because that was the big talking point coming out of it. It wasn't just the fact that he failed to find touch or the decision-making with the with the line, uh, with the kick restart just on the stroke of half time, there was there was multiple things there where you go, oh, that doesn't stack up well when you're thinking about a crucial knockout World Cup match, which is around the corner in a position where you want a banker. You want someone who makes great decisions nine times out of 10 at fullback.
0: Yeah, it was, it was more of the, I guess, probably previously we've described as a bit of deer in the headlights, a bit of rocks or diamond stuff from from Tom Wright and it was the rocks on, on Saturday night. Uh, You mentioned the dropout there. There was an early pass to uh, left to right pass. that looked like it came forward out of the hands and was a pretty ordinary ball, the kick in behind, which you could kind of understand that the Brumbies looked like they'd run out of ideas, as you said, but I don't think anyone outside of him was aware of it. Um, Didn't know it was coming. It was easily mopped up from the chiefs. And then the bizarre one, when he was coming back, um, with the ball and through this kind of forward pass that I don't know what he was thinking there. And it was, it was other moments to bringing the ball back from the back. I think it's the indecisiveness, right? You, you can't be indecisive at, at test footy. It's almost like you get stuck in the the two minds here. Oh, I'd love to have a run. Um, and we know how brilliant he can be bringing the ball back, but on other occasions, you just need to hoof those high and and particularly at knockout games of the world cup, right? Like, um, it's probably safety first and and kick unless you're absolutely certain that there's a there's space that you can, you know, um find and cut through there. It, it's just it felt to me that maybe the the pendulum had shifted a little bit back towards Andrew Kelloway. We know Kelloway was in that leadership group that that Eddie had back at the April camp as well. Perhaps that might have changed with some guys coming back from overseas, but you've got to feel the fact that he was a part of that. He's certainly a more um measured, I would say, um, performer than than Tom Wright without having that brilliant game-breaking ability. Uh, Killaway's certainly a wonderful finisher, as we saw in his first year of Test 40 there. But it, it, it looms as one of the key decisions for Eddie Jones, doesn't it? And I just wonder how much value he will place on that one game where the pressure was right on, right? That was a semi-final of, of Super Rugby. And I think Tom Wright just kind of, the pressure got to him a little bit. You, everyone could see what he was trying to do with that dropout we do the Nick White um uh getting the ball out on the bounce full time at Murrayfield for against Scotland last year trying to replicate that play but it was fairly poorly executed and and it was only heroic defense from the Brumbies there that denied the Chiefs a a try on half time. So yeah, I has it swayed you are you now in the Kelloway camp. I must admit I was probably in the right camp before and and perhaps judging him on that one performance is too harsh. But I do think that it's that indecisiveness that worries me.
1: I'm still picking Tom Wright for fullback to take on the spring box. And from there, it's, he's got his destiny in his hands. I think what will help that maybe is if you're going to Simon Kerebi at 12, I think that having that extra ball player, a guy that makes things happen can be a, a benefit. I think what... Eddie Jones will want is, and he puts so much responsibility and decision-making back on the players. He doesn't mind if, if someone makes a mistake. He wants them to have learned from it and be able to explain what they were thinking at the time and try to justify it. And if they can't justify it, nor do they not learn from it, then I think he pulls the rug out underneath them and makes it a change. I think how he explains himself, and if whether or not he learns from it, will be the big thing. You might be able to make the case. Well, this isn't the first time that he's run the ball back in and been held up, and you know what? Like, what's to say that he won't do it again? I can think of countless times against England on debut, basically at fullback last year in Brisbane. We saw it against the Blues back in uh, Super Round, doing a similar thing, got held up, uh, conceded possession there, so. I don't think it's a a one-off. I just think how he explains himself will be fascinating. Jock Campbell, I believe, is going to be spending time with the Wallabies this week. It it comes despite the fact that he probably didn't have his best year. Maybe it shows that one or two injuries and things can change. We've got to remember there's so much rugby ahead of, of not just the Australian rugby, but the World Cup. It's still a couple of months. There's four or five tests remaining beforehand. Uh, we know injuries to come at training sessions too. So there's still a lot of water to go under the bridge before someone's named in a position to take on Georgia in the first World Cup going for the Wallabies, I think, September 9. So we'll see. But for me, at the moment, I'd have Tom Wright still at fullback.
0: Yeah, a uh, couple of weeks. So the Brumbies will have this week off and then uh, the, the camp, the full camp and the squad will know, I think, on um, on Sunday is, uh, is the latest from... From the Wallabies, uh, we're thinking uh, the 30, 35, or they're going to stick with that 33 man squad, 33, perhaps with a couple of guys yeah. outside training. Yeah.
1: I think 33 with a couple, and it might even come as early as Friday. It won't be earlier than Friday. I was hearing it could be Friday, but I think it is changing and it's changed a little bit just depending on how few guys that are 50 50. So Langie Gleason's been out, he's got a two to four week injury from my understanding. Um, how does that impact him when you're coming up against the spring box and how does that change the configuration with the back row does it mean a Tom Hooper or or a Harry Wilson uh, who can you squeeze in three eights which you're thinking Gleason, Wilson, Valentine? you probably couldn't but if Leeson's potentially 50-50 or, or serious doubt for that spring box game then Harry Wilson comes right back into the reckoning so I think he's just allowing for a couple of guys see how they pull up before pulling the trigger on, on that squad, which is which is fair enough.
0: Do you think now that the Brumbies aren't playing in the final, perhaps with that only two-week recovery, had they gone through to the final, the travel, um, we might have seen a couple of guys not play that Pretoria test. Now that they're done, um, as we said, they'll have a few days off this week. Do we expect that the Brumbies will perhaps, we know they were probably going to form the lion's share of this team, but even those fringe positions, you mentioned the injury there, that perhaps that might come into favour of, of Tom Hooper. I mean, if we go through it quickly we're every chance to see a full, uh, a, a Brumbies front row, maybe uh, Alatoa, we think he's pretty close. He would have played the final this week. I think if the Brumbies yeah. had got through, um, so he's going to be back. You would think he'd be selected. Uh, James Slipper's an automatic selection at, at loose head. Um at Hooker, you're probably looking between Lockie Lonigan and, and Dave Parecki, Maybe Parecki um with his line out accuracy. But then the locks you've got to think are, are probably going to come from Neville Frost. Um and maybe that's your locking pairing. Um Will Skelton, we're going to come to again shortly. Um, we know Valentini's going to be there. That's six seven, Nick White at nine. Um, Ikatau at thirteen. So what do we there could be what, eight Brumbies, you think, in that team for Pretoria?
1: You you'd think so. Oh, look, yeah, of course it's disappointing that you don't have an side in the in the final. But given the fact that the Wallabies have to go to Pretoria, a long, long flight, a long turnaround, not the worst thing for Eddie Jones uh, and his preparations leading into the Test match. But oh, yeah, I agree. I know that there was about thirteen Rebels players and three Western Force players last week that were up on the Gold Coast and. You look through the 13 and you go, well, hang on, half of those guys aren't going to be in that final squad. But clearly Eddie needed hands on deck. Uh, and guys like Bobby Tuttle, who is there acting as a nine alongside Isaac Fines, uh, one of them will be saying, I think that's fines uh for at least this this week. But I think you're probably right. Some things, I don't think the rebels guys from my understanding. Some of them didn't impress last week with Eddie Jones. probably doesn't surprise you, given the fact that what they won four or five matches throughout the super season. And and a lot of those 50-50 moments or big plays in the second half, they were found wanting with work rate and attitude kind of things. So, yeah, you have to imagine that, yeah, the Brumbies will will have a good half um, of those guys. And, uh, yeah, there'll be a few few Reds players and a few Waratahs guys but um, I think my understanding is Jake Gordon's missed selection not even going to be a part of of this week's uh, wider training squad so that tells you that there's a cut right nature around Eddie that, and he looks for certain things uh, there'll be some shattered hearts and you and you feel for players but this is professional rugby in a big year when the stakes are high because it's not just a World Cup year. The Wallabies need to make a giant splash in the ocean and there's a broadcast deal that's to be renegotiated in the coming months. And this is your moment in the sun and you've got to, you've got to stand up and deliver.
0: Yeah. Uh, not surprising, Jake Gordon, given um, what, what Eddie elaborated to us uh, last Thursday week um, around uh, what he's thoughts on on the Warratah skipper. Uh, were um, just before we, we we park, well, no, we won't park the Wallabies. Um, let's just transition a little bit into the top 14 final, Christy. Um, 29 26, won by Toulouse over La Rochelle. La Rochelle denied the double, of course, having won the, the European Champions Cup. Um, now we know Will Skelton is a part of that La Rochelle team. Uh, and we know there's a bloke called Emmanuel Miafau, uh, who's uh, an Australian who, um, has selected to play for France. Uh, bizarrely, I went and watched him at uh, an NFL international combine on the Gold Coast here in about 2018, I think it was. Um, and he was actually selected as the one guy out of that as a potential uh, NFL um, player to follow in the footsteps of, of Jordan Mylada. I never actually made the trip across to the IMG Academy, but had been passed around between, I think he was in the Reds Academy. It was playing for New South Wales Country Eagles. Um anyway, finds his way to France and, and suddenly is looking like a, a French lock, maybe not for the World Cup, but beyond that. But um Tawira Kerbalo uh Lara Shell, we know played, I think what, 20, 30 odd tests maybe for the All Blacks. 27 um, tests, yeah. 27, there you go. Um under uh it must have been under under Steve Hansen. Um he has been over there for a few years now, uh, was of course rumoured, I think we discussed it midway through last year when this kind of eligibility story all changed and he flagged that if Dave Rennie ever came calling, he'd probably happily announce it given he was I think born in Darwin and spent a few years of his childhood there. Now you're impressed with him. Do you think this is a reality that particularly given uh, you said Jake Gordon is, is done and dusted, uh, is there a chance we see Tawira Kerbalo picked in this Wallaby squad, uh, either the rugby championship or potentially for the World Cup?
1: I would say up until Sunday, 9 a.m. Very unlikely. Not a chance. And and to be fair to Tarawa, he said it recently on 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 New Zealand SEN radio by saying I think it's a moot point because I haven't heard from Anyone at, at RA and, and it was last year with his camp reaching out to Dave Rooney. Clearly, a, a great relationship formed throughout two super rugby title successes, where he wore the number nine jersey in 2012 and 13 and onwards until he left in I think the end of 17. Uh I know that I've I've spoken to RA figures in the last 24 hours and they have said it's a discussion worth having. Uh, and it's a discussion worth having because. He, in my opinion, is in the top three heartbacks in the world at the moment, and Anton the uh, Pont would be the number one
0: by the and length of the Flemington straight. Yep.
1: Yeah, and, and an eighty-minute performance where he uh, played saved his best to last, where one or two steps across the, uh, the defensive line of La Rochelle, uh, and similarly Roman Entomac just slides on it and gets on the outside of the defender, which. DuPont puts beautifully a ball out in front and holds it up beautifully, goes through the gap, runs 60 metres to score the, the match-winning try. At that point, Kirk Barlow had been taken off. 69th minute he's taken off, the, and he had just bossed the game. And if you, I, I encourage you to watch the match and what he did, particularly his kicking game, but his ability to... Twice he, he showed the awareness to sprint to the breakdown, and and get yourself under a couple of the Toulouse defenders, which one kept the ball and secondly kept the ball and won a penalty with, with the, uh, with the Toulouse players going off their feet. It showed an awareness that's just like completely missing from Australian rugby on a whole, but particularly the halfbacks, who you often see just waiting for other people rather than doing it yourselves. Scores a try. He was immense. And, 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 you know, he's a World Cup winner, firstly, but secondly, he plays in France. He knows all the players. He knows the big stage. Just recently led uh, La Rochelle from a massive come-from-behind victory over Leinster and Dublin. I don't think Australia is in the position to go, you know what, we're okay, thanks, but no thanks. This guy lived in Australia until he was 13. His mother, Gail, played for the Wallaroos, 95, 96, uh, as a halfback too. Uh, you know, the, the, the Kerbalos are still based, you know, in Australia. Uh, I think it would be kind of ignorant to think that Australia is good enough and has the depth in the position. And, yes, there's probably a bunch of nines at the moment between Ryan Lonnegan and Tate McDermott and perhaps even Isaac Fiennes, Lelio who are good nines. Are they great nines? I don't think so. And I think Kerbalo is a great nine. Uh, it's certainly a discussion worth having.
0: And it's going to take a ghetto law change, isn't it, for him to, to come into consideration. Uh, we think maybe that might just go out the window for, for six weeks, right? Six, seven weeks or or a couple of months with including the rugby championship. But uh, it's a hot topic, this one, isn't it? This international eligibility. We've seen how it's it's helped um, the depth of the Tonga and Tongan and Samoan squads in the past week. With their their training squads for the World Cup, some of the names that have come back into Tonga: uh, Falao, obviously Charles Piutau, Um and they suddenly have a, a squad that looks like it's going to be, you know, really really competitive in that tough Pool B. Uh, Samoa picking up Stephen L- uh, Luatua. Um, uh, a couple of others, uh, Limus Opawanga, who's going to be great for them at having a real general at, at number 10. Um, so, yeah, but on the flip side, we've discussed Jack Dempsey in Scotland in the past. Um, and now suddenly we're, we're thinking about one coming the other way, a, a bloke who's played for the All Blacks and a world cup winner and, and suddenly pulling on the, um, on the gold Jersey. Um, so yeah, yeah, look uh it's a very much a watch this space isn't it then we'll we'll see just which way uh Eddie goes if he is tempted by this selection um but yeah it would certainly have, have put the cat amongst the pin, pigeons with uh with Loasa uh, McDermott and, and Ryan Lonergan. um you'd think only one of those guys would would get in if Eddie bat went with Toro and that's saying that um you know he was he's going to pick three three halfbacks as well so uh, yeah. What about Will Skelton, Christy? Um, how was his performance in in the top fourteen final? And and do we need to see him start? Um, under Eddie Jones in the next few weeks because Dave Rennie was loath to use him in that role. Um, uh, we bemoaned it in back-to-back spring tours. He was, um, I think exclusively used off the bench, apart from one test over those two years. Um, maybe it's not in Pretoria, but maybe the following week back in Sydney. Um, you've got to think that he's gonna. At least have one good crack there, or or multiple good cracks, as Eddie said to us the other week, that he pretty much wants those guys building continuity and and trying to get some wins on the board.
1: Yeah, uh, look, when he comes home to Australia, I'm not sure it's a question worth asking and trying to find and get into the bottom of, uh, because that will indicate whether or not he's in strong contention to take on the on the box. Uh, it'd be a hell of a travel load, uh, wouldn't it, over the next couple of weeks? You'd be racking up those frequent. Slight points. Um, not that I'm sure Will Skelton needs them. But I think he needs to, to play as much as possible. There's no doubt about that. But he also probably does need a couple of weeks off after a really big month. Um, Long year. Well, what we do know is that Eddie, and he spoke to us last a couple of weeks ago about uh, the fact that they, they're going out to win in Victoria. And I think it's important because it's it's setting the tone. When he took over from England... He led them, they won their last full game against Uruguay and then they win the next 17 under Eddie. And starting and turning a new page, I think, will be really important. Uh, they're under no illusions that Australia and the Wallabies have never won in Pretoria. So that's a hell of a task first up. And Phil Wall said if there's a harder place to start a new chapter, I don't know one. He He, he said that. A couple of weeks ago when he was unveiled as the new rugby australia ceo so the strategy towards how they how the wallabies and eddie jones uh confronts the next month will be fascinating because there's no way that they're going to be able to name one side and back it up with an unchanged 15 or 23 a week later against Argentina it will be simply impossible so I don't know, and and I'm sure he does, and that's why they're the ones getting paid the big dollars for the big big decisions. But I'd I'd be having Skelton as much as possible. What we do know is the Springboks will have a big pack. Uh, whether or not they prioritise the first game against the Wallabies at home, or indeed New Zealand so shortly after, that's a that's a really interesting question uh, and decision. And in the past, they prioritised New Zealand. Um, that being said, they will want to beat the Wallabies at home in one of their last home games before the World Cup to build that momentum. Uh, but I think there's already been some reports suggesting that they might separate the squads almost in two and, and really focus on the week later that New Zealand test.
0: And they've got some injury concerns too. We know Sia Khaleesi is really racing the clock. Uh, they've got issues at number 10, Hondre uh, Pollard. Uh, has had a few niggles over the last uh, couple of years. I think he's struggling again. Damien Willems is already out. They've got Marnie Libok as cover there, who we haven't seen a lot of down here in Australia just yet. And, sorry, uh, yeah, there is, aren't there? And, um, and Elton Yankees has been brought back into the squad. as we know, uh, perhaps we were caught um, by surprise at the talent of that young winger who came in last year and scored that brilliant try. Uh, at um, at Allianz Stadium, there, the 19 year old uh, Caitlin, Caitlin, uh, I've forgotten his name off the top of my head, but they've got plenty of depth, haven't they? So, yeah, um, they'll uh, they'll be a force no matter who lines up in, in Pretoria. Um, and as we say now, um, just uh, touch over two weeks and we can't wait for that one. Um, righto, mate, before we uh, we wrap up uh, this week, um, the chairman, uh, Hamish McLennan. Rugby Australia was um was back in the headlines again last week. He was probably was to, he? It, it it had been a couple of weeks or so maybe even a month since um he'd gone head to head with the horseman Peter Balandis. Um but um back on the airwaves and actually on a pod of uh, a friend and and colleague of ours uh, Liam Napier and, and Elliot Smith there at um the New Zealand Herald they they're very very good rugby direct and if you're keen to get a full breakdown on the All Blacks squad I suggest you go and give their their uh, pot a listen on that but um, yeah Hamish joining them last week across covering a, a range of topics and certainly went on the front foot around the draft and made a very good I think commercial defense of why he's pushing forward around the value of media rights and I guess building that narrative as you and I have spoken about it I've written a couple of yarns on it in the past well I think it's a, a good idea and potentially that can take super rugby um, from a competition that People just think it's floundering at the moment. We saw Steve Hansen come out over the weekend and say that he's watching the NRL more now than ever um, because rugby's stuck in a, a rut, I guess, if you like. Um, but then uh, Hamish also made the bold claim that um, the rugby championship had to consider moving towards this window earlier in the year. It was inevitable that it, that it would at some point, it was really only the the Kiwis holding things up. And that was interesting for two reasons, um, kind of because you would, was going rogue in his um his role as executive chair of uh, of SANZA at the moment. Um and two, I guess calling the the Kiwis out again as he has been known to do over the last couple of years, and you've been front and center of that. Um quickly swatted down by Sanzar with a media release. They it's sort like the the way they like to do things. You won't hear from them until something's wrong, and then you get a media release and and that's about it. But um the chairman, yeah, uh, back in the headlines, and uh, what did you make of it all?
1: I think firstly, anyone, and I encourage you to listen to the podcast, I think he came across outstandingly. Uh, I think he made a lot of sensible, valid points. And uh, professionalism, rugby has been grappling with professionalism across the world, hasn't it, about what to do and even private equity and how commercially sustainable it all is. People have got to be creative, got to think big picture and, Look, I think this is a big picture idea. Uh, I don't mind it, whether or not it's. I see it as an under twenties thing, or the players emerging, coming into drafts. But I don't think there's never there's never a bad idea, whether or not it comes to fruition or how quickly it could is a is a is a big question. But I think I think it's great that we're having someone present ideas and not afraid to paint them. Shake things up, yep. No, because whether or not, and this comes off the back of Rob Nicol who supported the idea of of a draft. And so it's not just one person that's going out there completely rogue. Um, I think it has merit to it. It has to be discussed broadly between both broadcasters, commercial um, executives but it's also got to look at history and see what's it done. I, I'm fascinated by the cohesion area of it because clearly the Crusaders have just continued to build this juggernaut and, and they base their side and the franchise around cohesion and that, that ability to retain and to upskill players. Um, I think they would think about this with a fair bit of trepidation. Um, but I think it's certainly an idea worth exploring further.
0: Yeah, Rob Nickel and then uh, Mark Robinson as well, the New Zealand um, rugby uh, chief executive saying, look, at this stage, uh, we're kind of open to anything um, and it's something that, that we need to consider. And he was also interviewed in one of the, um there might have been uh, uh, one, New Zealand one over there, uh, in a, a big feature interview around, I guess, this wider scope that everyone is kind of talking about. And I think much of it New Zealand has been uh, inspired by the Warriors and how well they're playing in the NRL this year. The fact that they're finally back on home soil after a couple of years here in Australia. I've um, got a team that looks like they could play finals this year, every game in the, in the NRL at the moment. Um, despite though not a couple on the weekend, there were big blowouts. Um, there's certainly three or four really even, you know, almost golden point games a weekend. So the optics are that that competition is surging and certainly winning a lot of New Zealand eyeballs. Whereas Super rugby is just, just more of the same. And, and as you say, is looking at these big Hamish McLennan is, he's, he's throwing up these big picture ideas and how do we sell this competition? Right. How do we perhaps, you know, and and if that it is, you know, engaging these younger guys at that under twenties range or uh, Hamish mentioned as well, the, the opposite could work where a bit like the big bash, where they have the marquee player draft. Um, Look, I, like you, I, I think I'm a fan of it. I'd, I'd like to see it. Um, but at this point, you know, open to to anything that's going to shake things up and perhaps try and better spread that that competition around a bit more. Do we look, maybe it doesn't have to come from New Zealand. Maybe we can try and sell this game to a few Northern Hemisphere players who a bit like Freddie Burns and a couple of guys who ended up at the force this year, Kibirigi and, um, and the centre, uh, whose name escapes me Same right thing. now. Thank you, Spink. Um, not probably how they saw things going with with the Worcester and Wasps collapses and they end up in Perth. So just a little bit, something a little bit different um, because I don't know that, that Super Rugby Pacific is, is humming quite like um, both New Zealand Rugby and Rugby Australia thought uh, that it might and, and hoped that it would.
1: I think there's plenty to crow about still about the competition and, and the Crusaders and the Chiefs, the Chiefs Brumbies game on the weekend it was it was a great you know, think about how bad that weather was. Like it was absolutely But Christy, uh,
0: is that because we're purists, mate? Is that because we we know and we we we're in the game day in, day out? Is is yeah. the Crusaders winning another title to the, the average man, woman or other on the street? Is that just oh crusaders won again? Oh, how many times is that? She's I'll, I'll switch back onto that competition oh. when when someone else wins. Like you and I can admire their dominance yeah. and, and the amazing systems and everything because we know that team inside out. But for, you know, fledg- for fringe fans rather of the sport and Super Rugby, that, um, it's just a bit blasé, a bit meh. Oh, look, I just know from
1: a lot of friends that watched that semi-final between the Brumbies and the Chiefs and a lot of people that don't generally, that are caught up watching Rugby League and they actually enjoyed that game. So, look, there's always going to be one offs I like the idea of the draft. I think that could captivate a new audience. It continues to put the competition in headlines. But I think simple things like the Reds moving to Ballymore um, where you could have a 15,000-seat stadium or ground uh, they're the things that I think Super Rugby need to look at more. There's there's no point having empty stadiums, which look terrible. So if you can create interest and aim small, uh, tone, tone it back a fair bit, strip it back, strip the 50,000 stadiums, which largely go untouched back and create atmosphere, create um, positivity around it. I think those sorts of things can go a hell of a long way. We've seen it with the Exeter Chiefs. Sandy Park, seven thousand. Pack it out every week, and those sorts of things. You know, we saw it with Leichhardt Oval and the Waratahs a year earlier. If you if you go back a little bit before you go too big, spread it too wide. I think, as I say, I think those couple of things can make a hell of a lot of difference. Um, there, there's a product there. There's games that are being played at a positive time uh, zone. Uh, I still think things like a domestic cup, uh, sorry, a, a European style model where you've got the championship cup and a challenge cup in addition to super rugby pacific can be really really smart savvy things which get more product a different competition where if you're not going well in one you can still have success in the other you can develop it with more players i think it's just a no-brainer so there, there is something there they've just got to nail it over the next couple of years
0: Another interesting nugget uh, out of that one was um, Amish showing up expansion possibilities and uh, a team in uh, Hawaii, which has been rumored before an old columnist of ours here at ESPN, uh, Craig Dowd was a uh, former All Blacks prop. Craig Dowd was part of a consortium trying to make that happen uh, back pre-COVID, I think now. And, and I think Japan is the natural growth element. Like you and I have spoken about it through rugby championship a, a number of times. We agree that Sanzaro is dragging their feet on that one from that perspective with, with Fiji as well. And that was the other bit of a rumour or report to come out over the weekend that this world league, this nation's championship, whatever they're going to call it looks to be a done deal from 26, I think. And then ring fenced until 2030, which has, you know, nations like Georgia and a couple of others spitting chips. Um, but uh, yeah, from a super rugby expansion perspective that that looks the, the natural growth, but um, yeah, there's got to be a more of a focus on, on getting the game humming in, in New Zealand and Australia again, first, right. And, um, certainly New Zealand are going to be dealing with um, a serious loss of star power next year. And we know the nature of their talent pathways that new guys will come through and already have started to. But when you think no Barrett, no Moenga, no Fanganuku, um, there's probably a couple of others, no Adi Savis on a sabbatical next year as well. Like if you were to pick, hand pick four guys out of the um, the top five or 10, you know, there's some pretty big, uh, big names to take out of the comp, right?
1: Yeah. But you know, whether the playing Japan. All those guys that you've just mentioned with the exception of Leicester, Fire and Nuku, but the playmakers and the Adi Severs, they're playing in Japan. are big, big clubs over there. So why not have this extra competition, this extra layer, which you see a handful of, of regular matches before, you know, quick-fire knockouts, which will involve household players where they can once again immerse themselves in super rugby and the conversation, which will be played across the Trans Tasman and Pacific—it's—it makes complete sense. All it needs is some, some, some initiatives, and audacity, some courage to go. There is, there is a competition here. There is the teams. We don't need to create new teams. We've got, we've, we've got it here. We've, we've just got to bring it together. Uh, for me, it's just a natural, natural progression.
0: Well, Hamish McClennan certainly the the right man for the job then to be throwing up some some bold ideas and uh cool. yes we'll uh we we'll interested to see what comes next all right mate that's uh, a pretty good wrap for this week i know you've got to get off i think you've got a haircut booked or, or something um but uh mate uh, tremendous as always uh, uh stop grinning at me to uh, to have you on uh this time next week we'll have a wallabies a firm wallaby squad won't we so uh, it's going to be a huge pod um, and uh, yeah, we'll break that all down for you then, uh, mate. Cheers. Uh, have a great week. Before you go,
1: what's your what's your one bolter for the Wallabies? And let us know if you're hearing it. What's your one bolter, punter? From to? the
0: from the squad or for Pretoria? Do you think? What do for you the mean? squad, I think the uh, wider squad. Wider squad. Uh, I, I declared Tom Hooper about this time last year, and, and I think while well, perhaps um, not playing to that same level before he was injured in that semi against the Blues last year. He, he looks like a test footy player to me. He looks like a big, raw-boned back rower, a country boy, which always ticks the box in, in my shoes, of course. Um, I like what I see from him. I don't know what role he plays, um, whether it be at lock or at six there, and I think that uncertainty around is, is probably going to play into his favour. Um, but, um, yeah, he, he'd be the one. What about you? No, I'll that's,
1: that's... give from me, but I think Tom Hooper would be a great stuff. And we saw him play seven on the weekend, good over the ball. Uh, if it, if it's not going to be a Tom Hooper, I'm fascinated around Isaac Fiennes, Lailoa. So I wonder whether or not he just wants a, another glimpse of him. And we might have found out, and that might still come to fruition over the last week or so, how has he impressed or not impressed Eddie Jones? If he has, I wonder whether or not he just gets an extra couple of weeks to, to try to show what he's worth is before a maybe comes back into the picture later on
0: but that'll be interesting watch this space yeah indeed watch this space a big couple of weeks coming up uh, and you can uh, follow it all here at ESPN. and of course christy's work at the raw is uh, one never to be missed all right thanks mate and uh, we'll talk to you all in seven days time cheers cheers